For more media content from Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, go to gccsatx.com. Verse 12. We've been in this one verse now. I think this is the fourth message. At least. Just in this one verse, and there are definitely verses like that in the Bible, we tend to find a richness we need to linger at just a little bit. Romans 12.12 Lord willing, this should be our last message in this verse. I want to deal with the last. If you've got your ESV Bible, it's the last four words. Maybe close to that in other translations as well. That last portion there, be constant in prayer. May God help us. to look at these few words in the next few moments. Be constant in prayer. Just about every Bible translation translates this phrase a little bit differently. Because if you've got any other translation, it doesn't say be constant, it says something else. The fact is that I did not find any two translations, I don't believe, that render this identically. They all say prayer. That word, they all render the same. But it's the word, the Greek word behind be constant. It seems like every translation brings it out a little different. Now, you know what? When you find that, what it typically means is that it is a Greek word that doesn't exactly fit an English word. So what I thought would be helpful is just to give you a bunch of different translations just so that you can try to, to hear and, and work out for yourself the different nuances of what our ESV translates be constant. Now listen to this. The New King James Version says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. The New American Standard says, devoted to prayer. Now think about what it is to be devoted to something. It's to be given to it. It's to have an affection for it. It's to have a closeness to it. The KJV, continuing instant in prayer. Instant. The NIV says faithful in prayer. Again, faithfulness has the idea of being committed to something. The New English translation, persist in prayer. I think you probably get the idea. One lexicon says that the word literally means to keep close company with. You know what the, you know what the Apostle wants from us? What God wants from us? Is that we keep close company with prayer. Now look. Folks, let's let's not play games. You know as well as I do. Now, let's just let's just I want to say a couple things about prayer. You know what I find about prayer? I find that as I enter into the, the words and the teachings of the New Testament, I find that prayer is basically the breath of the Christian. Now look, people pray who are lost. People pray all the time who are lost. But they're not devoted to prayer. People pray all sorts of things. I've heard people say the Hail Marys. You no doubt have seen all the multitudes bowing down to Allah and they do it so many times a day and they do it in just such a way in lines. And you've seen pictures of that. People pray. When I was lost, I prayed. When I was lost as a kid, I said a prayer. My brother and I did before every dinner time. But we were not committed. We were not persistent. We were not continuing in prayer. Why? Because folks, we weren't committed to God. And let me tell you something. When a person is born again, one of the things that happens to them, we are told under the New Covenant, is they become indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. And if that Spirit is anything, that Spirit is a Spirit of prayer. And you see that. 
We have not received a spirit of bondage or of slavery. We've received a spirit of what? Sonship. Of adoption. That by which we, we suddenly find inner compulsions working within us to cry out, Abba, Father. We read later down there in Romans chapter 8 that this Spirit, it helps us in our weakness. Basically, there, it produces groanings either within us or through our prayers somehow in a manifest aiding of our prayers. I mean, basically... You can tell when a person is truly transformed, truly born again. Why? Because suddenly they pray in a way that they never prayed before. Suddenly there's a spirit of prayer about their lives. I say this to you, look, if you don't know that, I guarantee you every true child of God, though they may not be able to explain it exactly, or maybe it's never occurred to them before, but I can tell you this, this is true of every true born again person in this place. Concerning prayer. There was a time when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's a time that you looked to Christ. In that time of your life, there's a new birth. There is life where there was death. You've been raised together with Christ. Where there is that new life, where there's the new birth, where there's new creation, the Spirit of God has taken up residency. Where the Spirit of God takes up residency, suddenly... The sinner is compelled to pray. And if you don't know that in your life, now I realize sometimes we can be forgetful of things that happened in the past. Sometimes maybe we were young enough that we don't realize the transformation. But if you're truly a child of God in this place, you went from a place where your prayers were mechanical and cold and dead to a place where they were living where they were alive, where they were real, where you were truly connecting with God. And I'll tell you something. Don't, I, I don't want to play games with anybody at all here today. I want you to be honest. Look, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for shows of hands. I'm not wanting you to come up to me afterwards and explain yourself or justify yourself. I'm just saying this today. Being devoted to prayer looks different from not being devoted to prayer. Those who continue in prayer or be devoted as the NAS says. Listen, to be devoted to prayer has distinct qualities about it. It has distinct significance about it that is distinctly set apart from not being devoted to prayer. You guys would agree with that, right? I mean, Paul's not speaking in, in gibberish here. He's not speaking about something that isn't real. When you come to the Word of the living God... That's one thing we can bank our souls on. This book deals with reality. It deals with the way things are. It deals with, with facts. It deals with that which is most important. And you know, if, if we don't take God's Word for that, we just let, we'll end up lost and wandering perpetually. This is a, thy word is truth. It's truth. Paul comes along to us and says of a truth, I want you devoted to prayer. And if you're not devoted to prayer, a life that isn't devoted to prayer looks plainly different from a life that is devoted to prayer. Folks, the idea here behind devotion to prayer, your soul is rising regularly to God. That's the idea. There's persistence coming to the throne of grace. You stay at it. You don't give up. You don't slack off. You press into the inner place. And we know what the opposite of that is. The opposite of that is when it comes to prayer, well, there's kind of, there's an apathy. There's, you know, prayer sometimes is random, it's mechanical, it's occasional, it's casual, it's infrequent, it's cold, it's, it's, uh, you know, recited. And the fact is, every one of you in this room, you have a prayer life. Now, I mean, what I mean by that is your prayer life looks like something. I'm not saying that all of you have a good prayer life. I'm saying all of you, when it comes to your relationship to prayer, it looks like something. I mean, it's describable. There are facts about your prayer life. There's, there are realities about it. There's some truth about it. You either have certain passion or lack of certain passion. There's certain discipline or lack of that discipline. And you know what? The Lord before whom we all must give an account knows what our prayer life looks like. 
He knows. Folks, you know what you know what Paul's saying? There should be a pattern and a frequency and a fervency and an intensity when it comes to prayer in your life that looks like devotion to prayer. That's what he's saying. And I want to emphasize this again, folks. Being devoted to prayer looks different from not being devoted to prayer. Look. You, I, you know, every once in a while, you see a guy driving down on Harley Davidson. He's got this great big old American flag waving behind. You can look at that and say, that guy's devoted to this country. You know, you get ex-military guys and they got all the bumper stickers on there. And, you know, it's man's devoted to the Marines. You find a man, he marries a woman. Josh Childress, where are you? Brother just got married. Back there, newly, newlywed. Congratulations, brother. Josh is devoted to a special woman in his life. Right? When a man is devoted to his country, when a man is devoted to the Marines, when a man is devoted to a woman, it doesn't mean necessarily that every waking moment is consumed with thoughts and constant communication with the object of the devotion. It doesn't mean that it's every moment of every minute of every hour of every day. But the fact is, there is something about that relationship that's significant. That when you look at it, you realize there are things about it that tell you that man's that man is dedicated and devoted and continuing in a passion for that woman. I can see it, it's visible. Look, and I come back to this. All of you have a prayer life that looks like something. And if your prayer life is not one that is clearly devoted, and let's not see one of the problems is we tend to twist words or we tend to just diminish their value. Listen, if we talk about the devotion of a man to a woman, we know what that looks like. Why is it that we want to come along and when it comes to an apostolic charge and something that we find in the scriptures, now when it comes to prayer, well, we can just kind of lightly dismiss it. I'm telling you, listen, folks, we don't want to just read over things like that and say, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Because I'll tell you this, I'll tell you what heaven is going to be filled with. Heaven is going to be filled with men and women who are devoted to prayer. And I'm not saying that's how you get there. I'm saying that's one of the characteristics of the people going there. Guaranteed, the Spirit of God produces an earnestness to pray. Now I realize that can ebb, that can flow. We can have our high seasons, we can have our weak seasons, and Paul isn't primarily dealing with prayer right here as a trait and characteristic of true Christianity. He's dealing with it here, addressing Christians to help encourage them to pray more. And all of us would have to say, no matter what it looks like, we all get into places in our life, and maybe most of the times in our life, where we do, we do need an encouragement to be more constant, to be more committed, to be more devoted. Now, brethren, so here's, here's what I'm doing. <clears throat> I'm saying, okay, we need to be committed to prayer. I sit down to study and I'm thinking, okay... We need to be committed. We need to be devoted to this. Okay, we need to look at what this prayer is that we need to be committed to. <clears throat> and I start thinking, well, okay, you know, anytime you preach, any of you that put together messages, you're always thinking, okay, now how do I go about this? You know, you got, you got a text that's four words long. And, you, you know, you think, well, I could stand up and I could just say, continue in prayer. <laughs> Alright, let's all go sit down now and just meditate on that. I mean, how do you open it up? What do you do? And so, you know, you start searching all the different places in the Scriptures. Well, here's what I did. I, I, I got to thinking, well, okay, you can deal with the who, what, why, where of prayer. But what I did, and this just kind of happened by chance, is I have my Bible work software, and I did a search on the word prayer on the exact form of the original word used there. In other words, 
singular, feminine, dative case, prayer, the original word, I searched it everywhere. Guess what I came up with? Nine uses. Now, there are other uses of the word prayer in the New Testament. That's not all of them. But, there, but there's differences. I mean, they may, they may be a different case. They may be plural. It, it may be masculine instead of feminine. I just searched this one word. I came up with nine verses. And I thought, and as I just quickly went through all those, I thought, wow, that gives just a wide view. Those nine verses so nicely. If you just look at every place, there's, there's ten places, nine other than the one in Romans 12, 12, where this word is used exactly this way. And as I looked at them all, I thought, Wow, it covers such a wide gamut of what prayer is about. Let's just take those nine verses and work through them and draw some points out. Because certainly, if we just let God tell us what is important about prayer, or we let God tell us about the whys and the whats and the wheres of prayer and the whens, and let's, let's just do that. So what I want to do is quickly shoot through Nine verses. Well, here's the first one. Now, you can take the time to turn there or you can just listen. The first one is found in Matthew 21.22. Listen to me. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Brethren, Jesus says here, did you guys all get that? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You know what I want you to do? I want you to think, where are we? We're in Romans 12.12. What's Romans 12.12 say? Be constant in prayer. Be devoted to prayer, ZNAS says. Be devoted to this thing. Well, one of the questions that always comes up is, why? I mean, you might think about that. Why? I mean, a lot of times when we're being encouraged to do something, the great motivation comes when we see the whys and the benefits that come out of it, right? Be constant in prayer. Why? Well, if ever there was a text on prayer to give us a reason why we ought to be devoted to it, committed to it, here it is. Matthew 21.22 Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, do you see that? Jesus says you will receive. What is receiving? Receiving has to do with getting. Receiving has to do with getting what we need to meet our needs. Prayer then... Ladies and gentlemen, prayer is a good thing for needy people. I mean, all you got to do is look at your life. The needs of your own family. Your own life. Our church, the need of other churches, the need of the missionary movement, the need of San Antonio. Brothers and sisters, the needs in all these places are massive, desperate. We have lost children. Our children are perishing. We have a work that's teetering on the edge down in Corpus Christi. You guys have heard about the work in the Yukon, in Indonesia, in Iran, in China, in Turkey. India, these things are before us. Look at the needs we've got. We just started a ministry over at the River City Nursing Home. We just started a ministry last night at Central Park Apartment Complexes. We just started the campus ministry for this year. Started over at Incarnate Word. If you think about the needs just in those places, ladies, gentlemen, can I, you know, you know what we tend not to believe? as good, red-blooded Calvinists. We don't really believe this text. You know what we tend to believe? We tend to believe, well, we're going to get it, whether we pray for it or not, because God's sovereign already determined it. It's going to happen. Lay it down. But I'll tell you what, the Scripture doesn't lead us to believe that. Oh, it leads us to believe God is sovereign, and that's our hope in the prayer, that if He will put His arm forth, we will have what we ask for. Listen, God wouldn't be sovereign to be able to give us a text like this. You see what I'm saying? 
For God to even be able to say whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. He couldn't say that if He wasn't sovereign. He wouldn't say that if there was some impotency in Him that would keep Him from being able to give what we ask for. Brethren, I'm telling you this. Gospel success hangs in the balance of our prayers. Life and death hangs in the balance of our prayers. People being saved or not saved hangs in the balance of our prayers. Whether the Gospel goes forth and successfully at Incarnate Word hangs in our prayers. Paul would not have prayed for his kinsmen according to the flesh that they might have salvation if he thought prayer doesn't matter, God is sovereign, doesn't matter if we pray, we're going to get what we pray for regardless of whether we do it or not. James hits this from the other side and you know it very well. You do not have because you do not ask. I'll tell you this. The work in Corpus Christi hangs in the balance. And I'll tell you what, texts like that lead me to believe and ought to lead all of us to believe that if we're not praying for it, we won't get what we ask for. Brethren, don't approach Scripture. Don't live your Christian life. Don't approach prayer with the mindset that it doesn't matter. I believe that the work in Turkey, the work in Peru, the works around this world, the works we try to do right here, they do matter. They do hang in the balance. Getting, listen, for Christ to say that, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. It means that getting or not getting hangs in the balance of your asking. And for James to come around behind this and say, you don't have because you don't ask, he's not implying that it doesn't matter if you ask or not. Folks, I tell you this, Tatang over there in that Indonesian village, Muslim village been brought back, his making it or shipwreck, I'll guarantee you will hinge on God's people's prayers. Whether the Gospel goes forth successfully in the Yukon with our brother Justin up there, it's going to hang on these things. Whether 30 more young people be added to our church this year is a result really of God's mercy more than any efforts we put forth. But I'll tell you this, folks, it matters. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Don't you like that at the end? If you have faith. You know what I found? Unbelief is the curse of the church. It is. Unbelief is a curse. Not many mighty works did Christ do where there wasn't faith. And not many answers... Now some of you, you're going to see, this is going to be a perfect illustration, devoted to country. I know when he gets up here, most of you are going to see it. You're going to think there's an apt illustration right there. So there goes our example for how we ought to be committed to prayer. Look, let me tell you something. Faith. You know what? When a need comes up, when a need is announced, when a brother or sister comes into the church, we get an email from Sister Connie, and there's a need, and something's desperate, something's urgent, something's there. We've, I'll tell you this, at the first instance, or the first awareness, or the first mention of such needs, almost everybody will pray. Almost everybody. But what we need... And what we need to ask are where in the, are the men and the women that are going to lay hold upon God and wrestle with Him like Jacob of old until they have what they've asked for. Their faith isn't out the window. I, I, think, I think we do great injustice when we hear these requests. We pray for them one time and that's done. I'd rather have you pray for them one time than not at all. I think the Lord would too. But our faith runs out. We run out of water. We run out of juice. Everybody will be there in the beginning. But we need the folks that have the faith that they'll lay hold upon God and wrestle until the blessing is had. 
Now listen to me. God said to us in what is about Roman or Romans 8.32, isn't that where He said it? That if, if God did not withhold His Son from us, but He gave Him up for us, for the Christians, if He gave Him up, how will He not also with Him or through Him give us all things? You ever read that text? Now look, that text is logical. I mean, you look at it and it's, it's reasonable according to our thinking that if God would do the big thing, certainly He'll do the lesser thing. It's logical. But you know what? Our faith doesn't always hold on to that. Do you realize what God is saying there? I am ready to bestow every lesser thing on you. Good thing. That doesn't mean God always gives us every single thing we ask for, because sometimes we ask for things that aren't good for us. But I'll tell you this, God is ready to give us every other good thing if He didn't spare His own Son. Folks, if that isn't an indication that we can go to God and pray to Him and have an expectation that He's going to give us, we got to get away from just that being reasonable and that being logic of an apostle. We need to get to where we really believe it, folks. God help us, brethren. May the Lord make us sensible to real answers to actual requests and give us clear evidence that this is true, that when we ask for things in prayer, we receive them if we have faith. Brethren, I'll tell you this, we need a confidence. We really do. In prayer. We need a confidence that those who continue in prayer are devoted to prayer receive more than those who aren't. And I'll tell you this, if that isn't true, then that verse is a lie. Number two, Mark 9.29 He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. There's our word again. Prayer and fasting. This kind. What's that? This kind. Well, very quickly the situation, Jesus Christ comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got a handful, little handful, of the disciples with Him. They come back to where the other disciples are. And you remember the occasion. There's a man, he's got a son, a son full of demons or a demon that would throw the boy into the fire and water and try to kill him. And the, the disciples couldn't get this demon out. They'd gotten lots out before, but they came to this and they were just up against the wall. They tried all the things they tried before. Jesus Christ had given them power to cast out demons, but here they are and they can't get this one out. And Jesus Christ says, this kind. In other words, there are different kinds and some are of the kind that just can't come out except by Prayer and fasting. It's almost like Jesus is saying, this is a kind that is so big, so hard. This is a kind above other kinds. And the real weapon, if you want to get this kind out, and in other words, it's like He's saying, there is no greater weapon than it comes against the demonic than prayer and fasting. This kind gives way before prayer and fasting. Brethren, one of the great obstacles to praying, one of the reasons that we begin to dry up in prayer, one of the reasons we fall away from it, is life is just too routinely smooth and comfortable. We don't have a sense of the battle lines. They're always way out there, far away, in another time. But really having a sense, really getting in there where we have a sense of the demonic. I'll guarantee you, over there in China, when they got big tables on the top, where the Tibetan kids are held, thousand pound concrete tables going back and forth all night long, and the little kids being touched by things that don't seem to be there, and such a demonic influence, you tend to pray. You tend to resist. You tend to fast. Well, we get so comfortable. We get in our little places all secure, and we gotta always move to the safe neighborhoods and be in all that. I tell you what, brethren, some of you, 
Ryan, Ryan Fullerton, a friend over in Louisville, they did the same thing, came to the inner city. He said now they have 30 to 40 families that live in that inner city. I'll tell you what, I think more of our people need to move into the inner city. Help your prayer life. We need a sense of the battle. Folks, don't you hear what the Scripture says? Demons come along and they pluck up the seed like birds. They're around here all the time. You guys see them? Look out across the landscape in the morning. You see birds. What are they doing? They're plucking up seeds, plucking up bugs. They're always out there. They're always flying around. Jesus Christ says, if you could look into the spiritual realm, that is what you would see. You would see them out there like like buzzards just flying around looking for something to eat. And lions seeking to somebody to devour. But they're always there like the birds and they're plucking them up. What we find in the Scripture, folks, is the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. Brethren, we are told as well that the God of peace shortly crushed Satan under our feet. We need to crush Satan under the feet of our prayers. Pray against him. The weapons of our warfare are meant to pull down strongholds. But some of us aren't praying. Some of us go lax. Some of us grow cold because we just don't have a sense of the warfare. We've made, we have, we have created this false sense of security in our lives. We've removed us from anything dangerous. We've removed us from anything demonic. At least openly so. We hide away in our little places. We don't really come out. And, and touch these things, see these things firsthand. Brethren, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And I'll guarantee you this the prince of the power of the air will bend his efforts to keep this church from praying. And you know why he will? Because he knows, and he knows historically, that when God's people are continuing steadfastly in prayer, they are going to fetch power against him. And he'll seek to shut it down. He seeks to hide himself here. He seeks to go back. He doesn't want us to know the battle's real. He wants us to be lulled asleep in this artificial sense of what we have here in America. Just fall asleep to it. Brethren, I'm telling you, I don't think we have ideas about what we pray against in Peru and in Turkey and China and Indonesia or even in Incarnate Word. The kind of principalities and powers that have high station in these places. And brethren, you guarantee it. Mark my words. The devil will seek to have this church not pray. He fears that. There's only one thing the devil fears. And it is the power of God. And I'll tell you what, it's the prayers of God's people bring down that power. And he fears that. He knows that. He's experienced that. Brethren, we've tried to penetrate this inner city for eight years. Yes, we've had people converted. Repeatedly we've had people converted. But never out of this inner city. Again, Ryan was telling me, not only did all those families move into the inner city, he told me for 18 straight months, almost once a month, they had people from the inner city saved. About 18 people in 18 months. What's it going to take? We've tried the Gospel. We've tried various forms of benevolence. Brethren, sometimes when we hit the wall and we can't go any further and it just seems like we can't get any footing, we can't make any advance, Jesus Christ says this kind comes out by prayer and fasting and by nothing else. The devil's dangerous. He's not playing games with us, folks. There are strongholds. Number three, Luke 6.12. In these days, He, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night He continued in prayer to God. Brothers and sisters, if you would be Constant in prayer. There's no substitute for this. You've got to meet God in the secret place. And you've got to meet Him there alone. Listen! 
Brethren, you know this is true. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You won't convince me, but don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You cannot go deep. You cannot get intimate. You cannot hammer in to the innermost parts of the secret place while you're on the run. Just trying to let prayer kind of fall into the cracks in your life. You can't do that. It never works. You'll never get deep. You'll never get serious. You'll never get intimate with God if you just think that, well, while I'm in the shower, while I'm shaving, while I'm driving to work, I'm going to get this little deal in and... You know, when I bow my head at lunch with all the co-workers and I'm going to say a prayer that's going to be a little longer than just thanking Him for the food. You're not going to get intimate with God that way. It doesn't happen. The old evangelical Anglican John Berridge said, all decays. And he's talking about decays in the Christian life. All decays begin in the closet. No heart thrives without much secret converse with God. And nothing will make amends for the want of it. Listen to me. We must be prepared to press in to the secret place and to bypass many things that are pleasant, things that are even profitable in order to get to the secret place to continue steadfastly in prayer with our Father who's in secret. Brethren, Can you imagine the scene? Thomas wakes up. It's a dark room. And you got a scene probably like the front room over there at Pine Street. All those guys in there trying to sleep close to the air conditioner. Probably the same kind of deal. You got those disciples sleeping around. Can you imagine it? Thomas wakes up. You got probably Peter about that close away. Peter, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was I thought he was sleeping with the rest of us. But his bed's empty. Oh how that empty bed ought to speak to us. Brethren, we often, when it comes to Jesus Christ, we talk about the empty tomb. And rightly so. But oh, brethren, remember there was an empty bed as well. I'll tell you this, people who are going to pray, they're going to go up on the mountainside. They're going to get alone with God. They're going to continue in prayer. They're going to find their Father in secret. You know what they're going to leave in their wake? They're going to leave empty beds, empty chairs, empty spots at the fellowship. Listen, if we're going to pray seriously, there are things that are going to be pleasurable and profitable in life that we're going to have to say no to, to step past them, to get to the secret place and get alone with the Lord. It's necessary, folks. It's necessary. Four. This comes from Acts 1, verse 13. Acts 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. All these... Now here it is. All these with one accord were devoting. There's our word again, folks. Continuing. Devoting. Persisting. Themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. Brethren, you know what you find, especially in the book of Acts? The New Testament is full of corporate prayer meetings. You see the brethren in, in the book of Acts, they're coming together, they're praying. You simply can't read this without getting the idea prayer meetings were normative in the early church. Being constant in prayer, devoted to prayer, in the New Testament surely included prayer with God's people. Now, it's interesting to me, from time to time we get people that want to join the church. 
But they never come to the prayer meeting. In fact, we've had people that wanted to join the church that told me up front they wouldn't come to the prayer meeting. They had no intention of doing it. It's not as though they work second shift. They're just tired or they want to spend time with the family or in front of the TV. Bottom line, it's just not important to them whether they come and pray with God's people or not. Brethren, can I tell you this? That is not New Testament Christianity. Coming to the prayer meeting, joining with God's people as they're desperately crying out in one accord, God, help us. God, move on our behalf. God, send Your presence here. God, save. Lord, we're trying to reach over here. Open a door. Open a way. We're trying to plant a church down there. Lord, put Your blessing upon it. Drop down salvation. I'll tell you what, when, when God's people come together and pray in that way, that's not advanced Christianity. That's basic Christianity. That's not like the super saints. That's just what you find the average guys doing in the Scriptures. Jesus went out on that mountain at night alone. God's people come together corporate. Both of those are aspects, critical aspects of being devoted to prayer. I mean, when, again, remember what we're doing. Be constant in prayer. Okay, let's go look at all the nine times where that word in that identical form is used. And this is what we're finding that the Scriptures would lead us to believe is a fair definition and identification of this kind of prayer. It's corporate. It's in the, it's in the private place out on the mountain. It's against the demonic it's going for my needs with an expectation in faith that I'm going to get what I ask for. Number five. Acts 6 and verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Again, devote. It's the same word. Be constant in. Be devoted to. Be instant in. Now you guys know this is the apostles. This comes from Acts chapter 6. You remember the situation. There were some widows there. They weren't being served. It was a situation where the apostles were put in a place where they didn't want to give themselves to serving the table. Not because they were proud. Not because they didn't want to serve. But because they had higher priorities. They wanted to give themselves to the Word and to the ministry or to prayer into the ministry of the Word rather than serving tables. And so what they did was they said, okay, we need to choose out seven men that we get to do this. Now listen, they weren't saying, we're going to give ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the Word, and we want a bunch of guys that are just prayerless and given to the, the, the serving of the tables. That's not what it meant. In fact, they, they show right there in Acts 6 through a text there, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. You see that preaching the Word of God was the thing. They would give themselves to prayer and to the Word. Those other men were godly men. They said, pick out men among you, full of the Holy Spirit. These were praying men. We'll give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. In other words, those guys can give themselves to prayer and serving tables. I mean, obviously, this being continuous in prayer is something that they would have had to have in their life as well. It's something that Paul saying is obligatory to all of us. Certainly the apostles were not calling the deacons away from prayer. But this is what I would ask you. When an apostle of Christ says, I'm going to give myself to prayer. I'm going to devote myself to prayer. Which, by the way, that's exactly the same terminology that we find in Romans 12.12. Exactly. Devoted to prayer. That's it. Continuing in prayer. It's the same two words. This is what I would ask you. When an apostle says, I'm going to devote myself to prayer, do you think that means that very quickly while he's in the shower in the morning, he's going to say a little three-minute ditty to the Lord, and then later on that day when he sits down at the table with his family, he's going to say another one-minute ditty as he thanks the Lord for the food, and then right before bed, he's going to pray this little deal with his kids, and that's it. You think that's what they meant? I remember one time meeting a guy who was a preacher. He believed he was called by God to the Gospel ministry. I asked him one time, Brother, tell me something. Tell me about your prayer life. When do you pray? In all seriousness, he said to me, well, I, I pray in the morning when I shave. I mean, in a moment. Just 
doesn't take a whole lot of uh, rocket science there. But I realized right away that guy's not called. That guy's not called of God to ministry. In fact, I would say, based on what I've seen about his life, I wonder if the guy's even saved. Why do I emphasize this? I emphasize this because certainly if apostles are using that language to be devoted to prayer, and that's exactly the same thing that every one of us needs to be devoted to, you need to realize, obviously this is going to look the same in all of our lives. Obviously some people are going to be more freed up to give themselves to specific intense times of prayer. They don't have the same work schedule. If these guys are there and in the Word all the time and giving themselves to the ministry of the Word, they may be able to find time slots in their life where they can pray more in a, in a fashion that some others can't because of different schedules. But no matter what it looks like, we may, need to be given to this. And I'll tell you this, may God give us praying leaders in this church. Why? Because if we go back to the very first thing we talked about, those who pray receive. I'll tell you what, those who pray well in the ministry are those who are going to work well. They're going to pastor well. Those who pray the most, they're the ones that are going to see the most results. I really believe that. You don't want leaders in this church if they're not prayerful. And you need to figure out how to identify that. You need to figure that out about John Seitzma. Is the guy a praying man? Prayer is one of the principal works of a man in the ministry. Number six, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Brethren, you know what you find in this text? Paul doesn't think that it's odd or unusual to think about setting aside time, maybe a day, maybe several days, specifically to give yourself to prayer. And you know what I find interesting about this? Here Paul is dealing about sexual intimacy, sexual relationships, and of all the possible things in the world that he would say might interrupt that sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife, there's only one thing he mentions. Isn't that amazing? Like, the one thing that's important enough in your life that you might want to think about having interrupt your sexual intimacy as a married couple is prayer! And he doesn't mention anything else. That to me is significant. Now you don't want to do it for too long lest the devil get away in. But nevertheless, Paul is saying you might want to do it. And you might want to think about it. And it might be a good thing. You know what I find? This is amazing. The apostles won't serve the tables. They're willing to give up ministry opportunities so that they might devote themselves to prayer. Jesus won't sleep. He gives up rest so that he might continue in prayer. Paul considers that Christians might want to give up sexual relations for a season so that they might devote themselves to prayer. You know what you find in Acts 20 verse 13? There's a time in one of Paul's missionary journeys where they're going from Troas to Asos. And some of you may know about this. It's very interesting. In fact, when you read it, you may pass over this. But it's interesting where Paul sent all the others in his company by ship and he walked alone by land. Isn't that interesting? Give up the comforts and the ease of the boat ride, which doesn't take a whole lot of effort, and take the dangerous highways where the robbers were and all that by himself. And why in the world would he do that? You know what? You find people giving up ministry opportunities, giving up sleep, giving up sexual relationships, giving up the ease of a ship ride. Why? To devote themselves to prayer. And I'm telling you this, if you're going to have a life continuing in prayer, persistent in prayer, you're going to have to give up other things. Things that are pleasurable. Things that are nice. Things that sometimes are even profitable. And I'll tell you this, folks, the fact is that if you're going to be diligent to this, there are things that you will have to give up. Brethren, let no one of you, let no man or woman in this place who has the time for television, Facebook, video games, or just hanging out, don't let any of you ever say that you don't have enough time to be constant in prayer. Quickly, number seven. Philippians 4, verse 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You've got two opposite conditions here. You've got anxiety, being anxious, and you've got the peace of God. And it says, if you don't want to be anxious, you know, here's Paul. You got anxiety in your life? Here's my prescription. What is it, Paul? Well, be in prayer about everything. Just pray about everything. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Now, brethren, it says in everything. You want to, as we're trying to figure out this whole thing about prayer here, make sure you see that. You know what? You know what? One of the reasons is we tend to run out of gas with regards to prayer because we only pray in crises. Well, the crisis prayers. You see, and I understand I didn't hear the message, but I understand while I was gone, Craig preached a message on praying for one another. You know what, you know what our church has a tendency to do? Pray for the brother or sister who's in crisis. We don't pray for everybody that maybe the thing would have been averted altogether or they would have had grace ahead of time or God would have just sustained them. God may have, may, you know, the crisis may have come anyways, but we could have been praying for them that they'd be more prepared for that crisis than they actually were when it came. But because we weren't, and see, this goes back to the first one again. Do you really believe that praying makes a difference? Do you really believe that praying, we get things that we wouldn't get if we didn't pray. Which means if you are praying for your brethren all the time, things are coming into their life that they wouldn't have otherwise got. And if you don't believe that, again, you're just denying what the Scriptures say. Brethren, in everything, not just in the crisis, everything, not just, look, when it comes to finances, you don't just pray when you lose the job. You don't just pray when you go to the bank account and you find out, man, the overdrafts are coming in. I can't pay my bills. You pray about it all the time. Lord, how would you have me to use my... You pray about it just as much when you have much and you're abounding. How should I give this? What should I do with this? You know, sometimes we're not praying to God when we have a lot. We're not using it wisely and we're just blowing it. We're not using it the way the Lord wants. And all of a sudden we find it's all taken away. The reason it might have been taken away was we weren't praying about it. We weren't looking for the leadership of the Lord. We weren't acknowledging Him in all things and having Him direct our path. We were using it foolishly and now He's taken it away. We weren't faithful. We need to be praying, brethren. Not just when the child's lost in the store and you can't find him. Not just when the calamity strikes. Not just when all of a sudden the sickness breaks out. We need to pray about everything. And if you're praying about everything, you can't pray for everything praying one time, three minutes a day. Brethren, you can't do it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. It must be persistent, constant, and intentional in our prayers. Number eight. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now here's another thing. When we want to think about prayer, well, what's one of the things that the Scripture seems to really hit on that ought to be associated with it. And you know what it is? It's the word watchful. But what does it mean to be watchful in prayer? I mean, you know, this isn't the only time this comes up. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. How about Matthew 26.41? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. How about Luke 21.36? Stay awake at all times praying. So what in the world's the connection? Being alert, being awake. What's the connection with that in prayer? How do they fit together? Brethren, I think one of the answers to that is right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember where Jesus said to His disciples, watch and pray? What was happening? What were His disciples doing? They were falling asleep. You know what was happening? Just prior to that, Satan... At least Christ communicated it to Peter. Satan had sought to sift Peter. Now, here's what I want you to see. In the spiritual realm, the devil's moving. He's seeking to sift Peter. He's entered into Judas. Jesus Christ is praying in that garden in a way He never prayed before or since. He was praying in such agony that blood was literally being squeezed out of Him. 
in the spiritual realm. Such things were happening. The cross was coming. The wrath of God that Christ would bear for the sins of His people was already pressing in upon Him the realities of what it would be to be separated. Such things were happening in the spiritual realm. And they were sleeping. I believe that the idea of watching has to do with really seeing into the spiritual realm what in the world is happening. Christ is wrestling in prayer for His dear life before His Father. Hell is moving. Christ is recoiling at the coming of that cup of wrath that He must drink. Massive spiritual realities are unfolding. And the disciples, they're sleeping. Look, I believe, I believe what we want to hear about praying, one of the things that will help intensify our prayers is if we're watchful. I mean discerning. I mean we see things as they really are. I come back to this. I've told the church this several times. Paul Washer back last summer, 2008, he stated over in Owensboro that he really believes that all these saints of old who experienced revival in their day are calling down from heaven saying, wake up folks! Revival is here. The revival you guys have been looking for, asking for, praying for, it's upon you. And Paul said this, he doesn't believe that most pastors, 40 years old and older, even know that it's happening. Why? Because they're not watching. You see, if you're not awake and you're not watching, you don't know what to be ready for. You don't know how to pray. But see, if you see this kind of thing coming, we can jump right on the bandwagon and we can pray. If we see, yes indeed, in the spiritual realm, that kind of thing is happening, we can pray. We can be motivated to pray. We can be motivated to pray. God, give us 30 more young people, college age, this year, in the next school year. Why? Because God's moving in that realm. And I'll tell you this, you can also have a sense when Satan is active and when things are happening, you can be sensitive to the kind of activities that our church would be involved with that would draw out satanic resistance. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch. Too many of us are asleep. Too many of us are caught up in the little trivialities of this life. We're just blindly walking through. We don't even realize what in the world's happening. I come back to this again. I can remember when Pat Horner went over to India. He was sick the entire time except those few times he stood in the pulpit. Every single time he stood in the pulpit, God's power came. He got well, but as soon as he stepped away, he comes back here to the United States. Another church in town is making accusations about him using and wasting too much of Community Baptist Church's money taking vacations. Well, you know what that tells me? It tells me about people who are blind. They're not awake. They don't realize. If they had any sense about them, they would have been praying for him while I was over there. Realizing what he might be up against. Realizing you just don't waltz into India and preach the Gospel. Listen, if we have sense about us, we will pray passionately and continuously for Peru and for Turkey and China and Indonesia and India and the Yukon and Iran and any of these other places. God allows us as a church to be able to get involved with. Brethren, Corpus Christi, we need to have eyes. Do you think we're going to waltz into a city of 350,000 people where a church has not rose up in the ranks for decades and we're going to waltz in and take the truth and it's just going to be unhindered. But you see, if you're sleeping, you won't pray for that because you won't have an idea about that. You'll be like those disciples in the garden. Here's Christ in one of the greatest extremities short of the cross there in the garden sweating blood and they're sleeping. God forbid, brethren, that we fall asleep. God forbid. And the last one comes from James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might rain. There's the word. Prayed fervently that it might rain and for three, or that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Can I tell you something here? Can I give you another encouragement to pray continuously? When you pray, you bring down the power of God. You know what this verse does not say? That if 
Elijah wouldn't have prayed fervently, the rain wouldn't have come anyways. It doesn't say that. Brethren, we prayed for rain in this church when it hadn't rained for a long time and the weather report said nothing of it. We prayed, God, show us that You control the weather. Make it rain the next day. And it rained. When the weatherman never said it was going to rain. There was no prediction of it the week before. Our God can move bees out of a backyard. But you know what? If you think, well, they would have gone away anyway, even if this brother wouldn't have prayed, you're not understanding the Scriptures right. And you see what James is doing is he says, look, you might think, you might think in your estimation that Elijah is some great man. He's some great prophet. You know, he's just way beyond where you are. Of course, a man like that can pray. You know what he says? He wants to be, he wants to qualify this very plainly. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Well, now, why would he say that? To get you to realize Elijah wasn't a magician. He couldn't just take his wand out and say, that's not going to rain. The power is from God. He got that power through fervent prayer, and that power is at our access as well. Now I'll tell you this. We have people sitting here, and maybe, maybe you've never experienced the power of God. I mean, right from the beginning you haven't experienced it. Maybe the, You know, I can tell you this. Before you really experience the ability to get power from God through prayer and receive whatever you would ask, you see, you don't get anything if you don't have faith. There's no power, brethren, unless you start out with a prayer to God, much like the one you find in what? Luke 18? God be merciful to me, a sinner. You want to see the first prayer that really unleashes the power of God? It's that one. Brethren, well, so we've got visitors in here today. Maybe you look at your life. You don't know anything about making bees disappear or rain come or rain not come or praying about things, people being saved and actually see them saved or praying about different things in life and really seeing them happen. You know what the Scripture says? Folks, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear. That comes out of Psalm 66. Proverbs 28, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59.2 Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Listen, if you would ever have access to God, if you would ever continue in prayer, and know prayer that is truly... Look, we're to be devoted to prayer because we're to be devoted to God. Prayer is not some isolated thing from God. It's communication with God. The Lord God desires intimacy with His people. And you're never going to know intimacy with His people if your iniquities stand between he and you. And there's no way into the inner place. There's no way to the throne of grace except through Christ. There is no other way. And Jesus Christ was wrung out in that garden and He took His obedience all the way to the cross so that sinners like us might have access. And I'll tell you one thing. Several of those verses said, they talked about being thankful. Did you catch it there? The text from Philippians, text from Colossians, it said be thankful. You want to know something in all this prayer? If you don't have reason to be thankful, I mean, I just got, I started thinking about it. You know, here we are. What are we? What have we done? What, what wicked, wicked things have we done in our life? And what are we? We hated God. We hated His Word. We hated His Christ. We hated His people. We disobeyed Him. We wanted nothing. I guarantee this, in our lost state, any one of us here would have killed the true God if we had the ability and our power to do. And now God gives to us. Is there not reason to be thankful? And even you that haven't come to know the Savior yet, you have reason to be thankful. But I tell you this, you want to get into this life of prayer? You want to get into this communion with God? Do you really have a desire to know God? To know your Creator? To know this God who... I mean, in every estimation, folks, He sets Himself in, forth in the Bible as nothing but good. You want to get to know Him? 
There's only one way to Him. There's only one way to know Him. It's through Christ. And I'll tell you, that prayer of that tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that man went home justified. You know what justified is? Justified means forgiven. It means you're counted righteous for the sake of Jesus Christ. That gives you access into God's presence. If your iniquities stand before you in repentant prayer, God be merciful. Dare, sinner, dare to ask God for help. We need to be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Brethren, I know we get weary. But the songwriter's right. A few more rolling suns at most. Hold your ground. <laughs> 